So today is the eighth sermon in our sermon series called The Hard Sayings of the Bible. And one of you asked the question about heaven, about heaven. Is heaven the eternal destiny or is there something else after that which would allow us to have hope in living here and now? So let me just be clear, okay? I was not always sure what the afterlife looked like. I didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. Even after seminary at Duke for three years, I wasn't sure about how it all unfolded. So if you're fuzzy on the afterlife today, take heart. It's okay. We're going to unpack it for you in the next few minutes. So uh, what really impressed me, what made the pieces fall into place for me, was a seminar that I went to that N.T. Wright did. He's this brilliant Anglican scholar. Uh, he's a bishop of the church. And he gave a seminar in Atlanta. And he said, yes, okay, heaven is that place that we go to after we die and before Jesus returns. In fact, Romans 8.18 is a great picture of that. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's the life we're living, I consider that these sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the glories yet to come. And so the idea is that we're going to go to heaven one day and we're going to look down at all the pain and all the suffering and, and everything, all the injustice that we had to deal with. It's going to be like a drop in the bucket. It's going to be nothing to us. The glories are just going to overwhelm us. So heaven's a great thing. It's a glorious thing. But Bishop Wright went on to say, heaven is not your home. Say, what? What are you talking about, Tom? <laughs> heaven's not my home. That's what I thought all my life. Come on. He said, no, heaven's like a, a resting place. Think about it like this. He said, remember the thief on the cross? He had a, a, a criminal on one side of Jesus and a criminal on the other side. And the one criminal says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember Jesus' response? Today you'll be with me in what? Paradise. In paradise. That's a Persian word taken from, from Persia. Um, and it talks about a, a garden. And it's a king's garden. So you can imagine in Babylon having all this desert out there. Everything's dry and ugly and, and barren. And suddenly you get to the king's garden. And it's beautiful and it's lush and there's an oasis and a waterfall. And it's, it's just gorgeous unlike anything you've seen. And you can be with the king in that garden. That's what Jesus is saying. When you die, you can be with the king. You'll be in the near presence of Jesus when you die. Your earthly trials will be over. You'll be out of the desert into the oasis. It'll be a beautiful place of joy where you can celebrate with the saints, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. That's where you're going to be. That's what we affirm every Sunday in the Eucharist. It's going to be a gorgeous place, but it's not your home. It's not your home. So what happens after heaven? Well, N.T. Wright would say we have life after life after death. Most of us are focused on life after death, but there's another life after that life after death. And there are three things in that life. New body, new earth, a renewed hope for daily living. First of all, new body. We do not, let me caution you, become angels when we die. I'm tired of parishioners saying that. You're not going to be an angel. You won't get any wings. I'm sorry. We, I, actually, we're better. We're more precious to God than angels, okay? And you're not going to be a disembodied spark of light that will spiritually go up to God and just be a, a spiritual thing for eons. No. Paul says in verse 
chapter 2 of Corinthians, chapter, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He says this, For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He said, This tent groans. We long to put on our heavenly dwelling. What Paul is actually confronting there is something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that your bodies are bad, the world is bad, the creation's fallen, we got a spark of divine within us, and one day our hope is that that spark goes back up to God and stays there forever, and he annihilates this terrible earth. That's not what Christians believe. Christians believe in the dignity of everything that God made. Paul's fighting that. Look at verse 4. If you've got that, 2 Corinthians 5, I'll let you know what he says. Paul continues where he says, For while we're in this tent, we groan. Those of you who are getting older, your bodies groan, don't they? They creak and they snap and they pop in the morning times. Takes you a while to get up in the morning. You're groaning, brother. You're groaning. But I, we groan because we're burdened, he says. But we long, not that we would be unclothed. Remember the tent, the dwelling? Not that we will be disembodied, but that we would be further clothed, he says. We're going to get new bodies, better bodies that don't wear out, that don't get cancer, that don't suffer pain. So we want to be further clothed, he says. Paul fleshes this out in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm not going to have time to unpack that today, but go home and read it. Uh, basically, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was the first fruits of those who have died. Now, if you get first fruits on a tree, you expect a second fruit. What Paul's saying is we're going to rise bodily just like Jesus did in the same kind of body he had. In fact, Paul said you're, you're born in a terrestrial body that wears out and groans and gets cancer and dies, but you'll be given a celestial body, a heavenly body that will never wear out. So that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. That's what he was talking about today in our reading. So we get new bodies, fully redeemed, fully restored, that don't wear out as God intends us to be. But how many times have we fallen into Gnosticism? Have you seen the bumper stickers that say, life is just a dress rehearsal for heaven? No, it's not. We get life after life after death. Or this, our, this world is not our home. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And we'll get into that now. Or we're just passing through. No, we're not just passing through. There's something grand going on here. So where is our home? The new earth. We got the new bodies, now the new earth. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Revelation chapter 21 now. Let's turn there if you will. And let me note while you're turning there. God loves material stuff. He made your body. He loves your body. God made the stars and the heaven and the sands on the seashore. He loves your doggy at home and your kitty cat as well. God loves his creation. God is not about to annihilate the creation like the Gnostics would say. God is about redeeming the creation and bringing it back to perfection. And that's what we see there. Even back in Genesis, remember when the fall of mankind happened? The people had fallen. They had corrupted the entire creation that God so lovingly made. And what does God do? Genesis 3.15, he sets in place a plan of salvation. He says that there will come a day when a woman is going to bear a man, 
And that man's work is going to undo Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness and evil, and he will crush the serpent under his feet. Jesus, way back in Genesis 3.15. So what we see today is John's going to give us a picture of that day when evil is undone and God reigns supreme. Look at 21, 1 to 3. This is the picture of all the culmination of history. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. All right, new earth, yes, but it's the same old earth. What he means there is it's not going to annihilate the world, as the Gnostics believe. He's going to redeem this world in such a way that everything's brought to perfection as God intended it to be in the beginning. Verse 2, how is he going to do it? I saw a holy city coming down, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man now. What we see there is continuity. Same earth, but discontinuity. Heavens have now come down to earth. God's dwelling is now with his people again. Everything is made right again as God intended it to be. So there's continuity and discontinuity. Same thing with our bodies. Remember the resurrection body of Jesus? Uh, you know, he, he ate fish on the beach with his friends and, and cooked them a meal. Uh, so he did kind of the stuff he used to do. And that's the glories of, of knowing that we're going to have this new heaven and new earth in that we can have relationships and tasks to do and friends to meet and people to, to, to invite out to dinner and have fish with on the beach. So there was continuity with his old body. Remember, scars from the spear, scars in the hands, scars in the feet. Continuity, but discontinuity. He was perfected now. Remember, he walked eight miles on the road to Emmaus with two of his buddies. They didn't even recognize who he was until he broke bread and read the word. So there's continuity and discontinuity, same way with the new world. So we get a new body that's not going to wear out, similar to the old body, but now perfected. A new earth that now has heaven and God surrounding it, continuity and discontinuity. And in that new heaven or that new earth, Guess what's going to happen? Remember Jesus says, store up yourselves treasures in heaven. All the righteous deeds of the saints, everything that you do will be stored. All the prayers, all the praises, all the good works, all the generosity, everything that you do, God is storing it in his storehouse in heaven. And he's going to pour those blessings out upon this world when he redeems it and sets it right again. Somebody asked me this week, uh, I gave a lot of money to, to help us get out of debt and now it could all go away. I'll go back to tech. And I said, well, you're right. It could. But let's, let me tell you, you have stored up a blessing, a treasure in heaven, because you worship the Lord Jesus, and you gave back to the Lord a portion of what he's given you. That's a blessing that even tech can't take. God's going to pour it out. God's kingdom rule. Remember, God's going to come down and be with us. Uh, remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The idea is that we pray daily for God's reign to come back to this earth and set things right again. We pray daily for, for God's heaven to come down to this earth so that people don't fight and there's no more war and no more violence and no more pain. That's the picture we get. Look at verse 3. Behold, now the dwelling place of God is with man. He walked among them in the cool of the day, Genesis said, before the fall. Now his dwelling place will be in the new earth, and he will be all around us. 
And we'll get to enjoy God in a fuller way than Adam and Eve ever dreamed of. God, come down to be with us. And when that relationship is redeemed and restored, God and man, earth and heaven, look at verse 4, what happens. In this renewed earth, it says that God will begin to, to wipe away our tears, to take away our pain, to take away everything that's horrible that you've ever been through, all the death, all the hurt, everything. He's going to make it all right again. And in verse 5, guess what? Jesus reigns. He reigns. He's on a throne. He's judging the living and the dead. So there is no evil deed that's done that won't go unpunished by Jesus. All the injustices, he will, he will punish them. And there's no good deed that he will forget. They will be poured out like blessings upon the saints in the new world. And he sits on the throne in verse 5, and he says this, Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm making it all new. It's all going to be okay for the saints. It's all going to be okay. He's making it right again. I hear so many people say, I don't like to read Revelation. All those scary apocalyptic images and everything. Listen to the story. He's saying Jesus reigns. We get new bodies that won't wear out. He's sitting on the throne. He's making all things new. That's a good image for the Christians to hold on to. In fact, the Bible says in at least three occasions that we, the saints, get to sit on the throne with Jesus and judge those people who are unrighteous in life, who did not follow Christ. And, I mean, we get to be judges. I can't wait for that day. can't wait for Jesus to announce the Honorable Reverend Tripp Jeffords now presiding. And I hope my wife is here to, there to hear that. <laughs> It'll be amazing. So, so life after death is amazing. It's good. But life after life after death is going to be even better. And that's the hope that I want to leave you with today. That's the hope that have, that's kept Christians going for 2,000 years. John today is given this vision of the end times. And it sustained those Christians who were under the emperor Domitian. Domitian was terrible to Christians. They were seeing their parishioners die, crucified and placed along the major trade routes for everybody to see. They were uh, impaled with stakes, thrown into prison. Their possessions were plundered. They were thrown into the arena and made blood sport of. All this martyrdom, all this persecution. And guess what? They kept believing because they knew the end of the story. They knew that Jesus wins. His saints win. Evil cannot triumph because we have the end right there. In fact, Tertullian, the church father, said, Christian martyrs, their blood is the seed of the church. You know what's going on there? Uh, pagans are looking at the Christian church as they're strung up and crucified and impaled, and they're continuing to believe. And they're like, man, what, what inspires them to be courageous in the face of all this danger? What inspires them to go on believing with poise and grace? They knew the end of the story, and many people came into the fold because of their witness. So, I dare say, that we're not going through the same kind of sufferings that they went through. We probably will never be impaled or crucified or any of that stuff. But the same story that gave them the courage and strength to make it through their persecution is the same story that we should hold dearly in our hearts. I dare say if it got them through their persecution, it can get us through ours. You know, this week, if you don't know, um, there was an unjust judge, one of my former parishioners, who, who judged against us, along with two other judges. It wasn't just her, but she was the deciding vote. Um, 
She's in tech. She was one of the founding members of uh, their Episcopal Forum. Her husband was one of the first delegates to their convention to elect von Rosenberg. It was totally ugly and messy and wicked, and I felt such injustice this week. And then I read this story. I'm like, Lord, I'm not crucified. I'm not impaled. I'm not shedding blood. The church is not the building. If we lose the building, that's okay. The church is the people. We're going to be fine. And then I read Revelation 21. I said, praise be to God. You're sitting on the throne. I get to drudge, judge evil with you. I get a new body. They can kill this body if they want to. I get a new one in the end. And I get a new earth to enjoy my friends, the saints. And guess what? Evil will be punished. Look at verse 7 and 8. I'll conclude with this. The one who conquers will have this heritage, that whole end time picture that John gives. And I will be his God, and he will be my son and daughter. That'll be us, okay? No good deed will go unrecognized by God. But verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God will make all things right in the end. No matter what suffering or persecution you go through, he will make it right in the end. And that's the story that sustained Christians for 2,000 years, and it can sustain us still so that we can move with poise and faith and belief that Jesus will reign and he's making all things new. And if you let that seep in your heart, my friends, you got to ask yourself, what can the world do to me? What can the world do if Jesus reigns? As the psalmist said, and I'll end with this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, and my adversaries and foes camp around me, it is they who will stumble and fall. God is even now making all things new. To him be the glory who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.